Amen. You can be seated. Hey, my name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. If you need a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. My man Trenton right there in the back, he's uh, able to get you one if you need one. Uh, Trenton, I think you're good actually, brother. Uh, I'm not preaching this morning. Uh, We have a cool opportunity. Uh, Let me just say it like this. It's really rare in a church uh, this young, um, both only six months old and also very young in age on average, we're, we're a young crowd, to have a group of faithful men. And by the Lord's grace, our church is filled with really solid uh, men that uh, love the Lord, love their wives, uh, really striving to fulfill the qualifications found in First and Second Timothy and Titus of being elders and just being good stewards of, of the ministry. And so today I'm really thankful to have another one of my brothers to come up and, and open God's word before us this morning. Andrew's going to come after I read the text this morning. Again, we're going to be continuing in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 7. And we use the ESV if you're on your phone or your tablet, so you can open up there with me at this point. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many. So that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them to not make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they, called to, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they, they were saying, he is out of his mind. May God bless the hearers, readers, and doers of his word. Let's pray this morning together. Lord Jesus, we are thankful people. Lord, thank you for calling us to this place, in this time, in this moment. Lord, thank you just for the gift of solid leaders in this church, both men and women who who love you, Lord, who are called according to your purpose. Lord, thank you for Andrew. Thank you for the way he serves and leads in the church. Lord, I pray that you would speak through him this morning, that your presence this morning would be thick in this place. Lord, that you would move, that you would get glory and honor out of our lives and out of what's done and said here this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Good morning, church. My name is uh, Andrew Prado. I uh, serve here at uh, Redeemer Odessa with my wife, Megan, and our two kids, Owen and Lila. Uh, We serve in the Adams Community Group. 
Um, to all the fathers in attendance here today, uh, I may not have told you in private, so I just figured I'd throw the broad statement out there. Happy Father's Day. Um, I think we deserve a quick round of applause. <laughs> Um, I know firsthand the difficulties and the hardships and the blessings of being a father, um, but rest easy because today's sermon has nothing to do with Father's Day, so we'll, we'll be all right. <laughs> if you would turn your Bibles with me, if you haven't already, to Mark 3, 7 through 21. Um, I'll pray and then I'll get started. Uh, father God, I, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to stand here before my brothers and sisters, um, I thank you that I know how much my brothers and sisters uh, love me and support me, um, and that makes it easy to get up here in front of everybody. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that you are a great, great Father. We wish you the ultimate happy Father's Day, Lord. May um, you bless us uh, with the word today and just guide our hearts. It, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, this was pre-COVID, just kind of get this, give you a story before we start the sermon. Um, circa 2003, I was a junior in high school and um, I loved hip hop music. That was my jam. Um, I loved to, you know, back then we'd go to, you know, uh, clubs or theaters and the artists that I like never were super huge. They didn't sell out Madison Square Garden, but they would jam pack us into these tiny clubs. Maybe, you, you know, hopefully you could relate with that, even if it was a bigger um, auditorium, but just they would cram so many people in there. And, um, you know, I loved hip hop music. Uh, if you don't know who these artists are, it's okay. But I was a huge, like, you know, Talib Kweli fan, most deaf, common, the roots. And so while they were great, they never had these humongous followings. And so um, I was that guy that got on the internet, and back then the internet wasn't very fun. But you got on the internet, got like early access codes, and did whatever I had to do to get you know the tickets early, get the best seat in the house. Um, I drive to Las Cruces, to Albuquerque to go see these artists, and um, I really wanted to just be right in front of the mic. And um, unfortunately, the thing that I remember most about these concerts was just how exhausted and sweaty and hot that I would be because really when they jam-packed so many of us in there, at that point, all you're doing is trying to stay alive. I don't know if you've ever been through that experience, especially when you're up front like I always was. It was like the guardrail and just the whole crowd just smashing into you. And like, I just remember all hands and all feet just like trying to survive back there. Um, and, so tr try to put yourself in that scenario if you weren't in that scenario. I remember my wife recalls being at a Coldplay concert. I cannot imagine how many people that was and also being smashed. Um, but just try to imagine this morning that experience if you've ever experienced that. But imagine being the artist and imagine that everybody in that crowd was going to do everything in their power to get to you, to touch you. Even if all they could do was touch a shoelace, they were gonna do everything in their power to do that. And that's where our passage picks up this morning um, here in Mark 3. So G at this point, Jesus has been going from city to city and town to town, uh, healing people and casting out demons, asking uh, a few folks that were following him to be his disciples, to drop everything and follow him. 
And on his way through these cities, great crowds would gather, and they would follow Jesus. Many, if not all of them at this point, were just coming to be healed, right? They had heard that there was this great miracle worker. They had known someone that had gone through this miracle, and they were going to do anything and everything to get to Jesus, right? They knew that there was power in his cloak, so they were going to do whatever they had to to get to Jesus. Earlier in Mark 3, uh, we read that Jesus is angry with the Pharisees, who were angry with him about healing a man's withered hand on the Sabbath uh, in a synagogue. And we see this over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry. We see that Jesus uh, retreats from these crowds many times after these dramatic scenes. He takes his closest disciples with him. And so two things that I want to point out in the passage today is, one, these great crowds were gathering around Jesus and were so intrusive that they could have crushed Jesus. Jesus, knowing this, requests his disciples to ready a boat for him, lest he be crushed. And this mob wanted the miracle worker to do miraculous things for them, and they would stop at nothing to get what they so desperately wanted. And the second thing I want to point out is that when the unclean spirits see Jesus, they fall down before him and cry out, You are the Son of God. Not even at this point the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Herodians would say this about God and the demons are here doing it. And yet Jesus orders the demons not to make him known, which you know, could be really interesting um, because that's, that's truth. And so let's tease these points out uh, this morning here today. Mark 7, 8, uh, starting in this, the second part of Mark 7, 8 through 10. When the great crowds heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And so Mark tells us that it wasn't until the great crowds heard what Jesus was doing that they decided to follow him. Verse 10 says, For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. This is when the great crowd became a mob. They were so desperate to get what they wanted from Jesus that they would stop at nothing to get in the presence of Jesus. And church, to their credit, if you had cancer, if your child had cancer, if they had some disease that nobody had a cure for and you knew that there was this miracle worker this doctor that all you had to do is be in his presence touch his cloak and that cancer would go away wouldn't you be doing the same thing i know i would i'd do whatever it took right i'd be jamming in that crowd and following this miracle worker wherever he would go so we can easily put ourselves in that narrative, right? In this culture of individualism, it's not hard to see that we would push, shove, yell, do whatever we had to. But hear me this morning, it's not wrong to ask Jesus to do what only Jesus can do, but to desire that thing, whatever it is, above the safety of others, whether it's the miracle worker, our neighbors, ourselves, to make what we want the most important thing in our lives, that we would disregard everything else, is simply sin. Think about it this morning. What is something 
that I want, tell yourself, what is something I want or desire so much that I've even justified this selfish desire and watched it play out? Maybe it's a promotion at work and you've had to badmouth some people to make yourself look a little bit better. Maybe it's a business or your position at work and you want to maintain it. You want to keep this business going so bad that you've neglected your family. Maybe whatever that desire is, you want it so bad that you're, you have no problem asking Jesus. But when it comes to following Jesus, to pressing into the word, to doing what the word says, I don't, I don't need that Jesus, right? I just, if you'll just do this for me, we'll be good. We even go as far as executing these desires, never stopping once to consider how it's affecting the people around us, much less, if we're honest, sometimes we use scripture, right? We'll use scripture to justify that thing that we're doing that's really not uh, good for us or the people around us. And so that's what I want to point out this morning is this is what Jesus is after, our motivation. What is our driving force? What is, our, what is driving our decision to desire whatever it is that we're desiring? Why are we coming to Jesus? Why are we following Jesus? How or where are you treating Jesus like a genie? Are you asking Jesus for things, but you don't actually know him? Church, Jesus is after our hearts. Has Jesus given you comfort that you are unwilling to share? Excess that you are unwilling to share? It could be your home, your car, your money. And instead of growing closer to our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, we'd rather just stay at home, right? Just leave us alone. We're all right. I'm pretty guilty of that one. <laughs> or maybe you have a chronic disease that you can't beat or that can't be healed. Are you making that the most important thing in your life? Is all you want is to be healed and you would neglect others to get it? Ask yourselves this morning, am I just asking Jesus to give me things, right? Really examine your prayers. What are your prayers like? How have you been praying lately? Is it just asking? So just keep this in mind and we'll tie it in here at the end of the sermon. So let's move on to Mark 3, 11 through 12. Mark 3, 11 through 12. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Comparing that response, right, to the crowd's response earlier with the selfish motivation, we might think, hey, that's not really a terrible response, demons, but we know demons are never in the right. They fall down before Jesus and cry out the truth about him, right? They say, you are the son of God. That's not false. But Jesus strictly orders him not to make him known. The demons know the truth, but Jesus knows their intentions and their motivations are never good and never right. So the demons will not decide the time for Jesus' revealing, and Jesus wisely does not want the demons to be the ones who spread the truth about who he is and what he is doing. Oddly, Jesus does this multiple times throughout the Gospels, right? He'll heal somebody, 
of their withered hand or their diseases. And early on in his ministry, he asked them not to tell anybody. Why would he do this? Right nowadays, wouldn't we we'd be with our phones? We'd be like trying to get us in the picture with Jesus healing and try to even get the Pharisees in the background like, yeah, check this out, right? Everybody's got to know. Which really, at the end of the day, we're just like, hey, I'm here, guys. You're not awesome. You should know that I'm here. But this is not a new concept, right? We read in John 7, 2 through 5, now the Jews, the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you were doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly, for not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus' brothers are saying, hey, let's make this a thing, right? Maybe they're seeking their own popularity in this, but they're misunderstanding Jesus' purpose. They're saying, hey, don't you want to be famous? This is how you could do it. Let's do it. Let's get behind this. But this is not the point that Jesus is trying to make in his healings, right? He is giving us a snapshot of what lies ahead for his children when we reach heaven. He is also displaying his love for us and proving that he is God in the flesh, full of honor, glory, and power, capable of not only healing physically and spiritually, but forgiving sin. But over and over again, we see Jesus healing someone, telling them not to say anything, and in doing uh, what we innocently think is best, asking for healing, pursuing healing, we might be missing the entire point just like the great crowds. Again, church, hear me, it is not wrong at all to ask God for healing. We are physical and spiritual beings that have physical and spiritual needs, but make sure that your motivations are godly. He doesn't want, Jesus doesn't want people following him because of what they can get from him. Jesus does not want people believing or perceiving false things about him. He doesn't want those with negative motivations heralding things about him that are only half-truth. He doesn't want to be known as the great moral teacher or the great healer or that guy in history who was unlike anyone before or after him. Jesus' primary goal was to call us to repentance and heal us of our greatest disease, sin. He did this by becoming human, living the life, the perfect life that we could never live, dying the death that we deserve, and rising from the dead to show his ultimate purpose of reconciling us back to the Father. So points one and two show us that Jesus desires to heal all who come to him, He doesn't shoo these massive crowds away, right? Even when they're just crushing him, he does not shoo them away. Even in that very stressful moment, he cannot help but show pity to us, right? Praise his name for that. He shows great pity for us, and despite our motivations to get what we want from him, he can't help but love on us. But in his wisdom and omniscience, he knows our motivations and the motivations of the demons. If our hearts don't align with the heart and the purposes of Jesus, he'd rather we not make him known. We read in John 2, 23, 
Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So just like the demons, Jesus knows our wickedness and our sinful nature and our willingness to steep there and stay in that sinfulness, hide it even. And so, um, yeah, you can. This is why these acts of what the world would call good that they might see in us are like filthy rags, right? Without a regenerated heart, even our nice or good acts are tainted with sin. And so at this point, it was neither the demons or the crowd's privilege to reveal who Jesus was and what he was ultimately doing. This would be later revealed at the cross. And so let's pick it up, uh, Mark three thirteen through 21. Now, um, he does list the apostles here, um, and that could be a really great devotional on its own. It could also be a great sermon on its own, and so I'm not going to get into that uh, today. And so I'm going to skip over that section of naming the apostles just simply because that could be a sermon in itself. And so we pick it up, Mark 3, 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. In Luke's account, Luke tells us that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. All night long, he prayed to God. And when day came, he chose his 12 disciples, or I'm sorry, his 12 apostles. Jesus separates himself from his closest disciples to commune with the Father before making this great decision, right? This wasn't a decision of who's following me best, who's showing the most promise, or who is the most qualified, right? Like, let's, that's how we choose that's not what Jesus was doing. When we look at this list, we see people from many different backgrounds represented. Jesus chose 12 disciples to be his closest friends, close enough that he would later call them brothers. And he bestows upon them the wisdom to preach and the power to cast out demons. So Jesus teaches us the importance of communing with the Father for our decisions, and we should realize that because of Jesus Christ, we, we now have full access to also commune with the Father, regardless of how small or how big that decision is. And so, again, I won't go through uh, the 12 apostles here, so we're going to skip on to Mark 3.20. Mark 3.20 reads, Then he went home, and the great crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And so I've read some commentaries and a lot of uh, theologians and, and you know, commentators are kind of caught up in the word family. Um, today we're going to use the, the word family, but they say the best translation would be uh, it was more likely some family members and some of his closest disciples. But for today, I'm just going to use the word family. So as the crowds continue to grow, 
Jesus' fame grows even back to his home, right? This crowd follows him back to his home. And they were so intrusive that at this point, Jesus and his closest family couldn't even eat. And perhaps his family was concerned for their safety, maybe his, probably their reputation. Either way, this mob would stop at nothing to get to Jesus. And they went out, his family went out to seize him, calling him crazy. So now we have the religious leaders of the day trying to stop Jesus and his ministry. We have his apostles who throughout the Gospels were, didn't understand what Jesus was doing, right? He even had to rebuke one of them and say, get behind me, Satan. And last, we have his family trying to pull him back, trying to tell him, you're crazy, you need to stop. This is getting out of hand. None of them understood what or why Jesus was doing these things. We just read that his brothers wanted him to make himself famous. Even his brothers didn't fully believe Jesus as the Christ until after his resurrection. And so let's end with this today. How can we put ourselves in the narrative? Ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you today. What are you asking for God to give you instead of worshiping God for what he has given you in and through his son? Maybe you or a loved one has a chronic illness, and if you could just touch his cloak, it would be taken away. You would be healed. Your child would be healed. Your family member would be healed. Maybe if God would just end my singleness, you might ask. Maybe, just maybe, if you could get to Jesus, he could get you more money, get you that promotion that you've been looking for. Maybe if I followed Jesus, he would bless me with fill in the blank, right? So share whatever your, desi your desires are and your thoughts that you have about them and, and why you desire these things with your brothers and sisters, right? This is a great purpose for community groups. Like, hey guys, I really am desiring this. I really want this. This is why, let us ask you some difficult questions just to make sure that your desires are godly, that they're not selfish desires. Let's, not, let's make sure that we're not making something ultimate that shouldn't be ultimate. So let's not come to Jesus, let's not follow Jesus because of what we want from him is the big point today. Let's see, um, uh, I see signs um, in this town and other towns, other churches use these same billboards. I don't know if you've seen them in town. Um, they say things like, ashamed, and they've got a big old question mark, Jesus offers forgiveness, right? Confused, Jesus offers clarity, and they've got this dude huddled over, and that's what they have. That's, you know, hey, this is the Jesus, right? And I've seen them in this town, I've seen them in other towns, and while these are well-meaning, this will never satisfy. Yes, he promises to heal you, and cast out your demons, but there is so much more. If you come to Jesus for that one big thing, that one big thing you need off your chest or off your shoulders, 
Life will just place another heavy burden in its place, and you will be right back at square one. You will only get clarity when you see that you are a sinner in need of grace, a rebel to the cross. You are in that great crowd with me, demanding healing, but soon you will call for his crucifixion. When you compare yourself to Christ and see that you deserve the crown of thorns on your head for acting like you're the king of your little universe, then you will see what used to be shame as glorious grace. We should be the ones hanging on that cross for our rebellion, for wanting the gifts but not the giver. And clarity looks like you realizing that you're guilty of high treason against our holy God, repenting and confessing it to God, and receiving everlasting forgiveness and salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then that shame is forgiven and that confusion becomes clear, right? Jesus paid it all, and we are unworthy of everything that we have, all of it, amen? When we are in fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit, you may still have that illness, but Jesus is better. Your loved one may never get better, but Jesus is better. The heart behind wanting what we think is best for us shows us that we think that we deserve better. But our ultimate desire should be to desire Christ so much that even in our illness, And in our unsatisfied hearts, there can be joy. Joy in who Christ was, is, and will be for us forever. Right? The great I am. So let's not follow Jesus for his gifts, but let us worship the giver. And let that worship overflow to the people around us so that one day they might see that they are welcome to the table of grace, and they might worship Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for the opportunity to um, just get up here and do my best to be that weak jar of clay with this great treasure that you have put inside of me to share with everyone. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us through the power of the Spirit, what we are making ultimate, the things that we are seeking more than we are seeking you. I pray that you would um, reveal those things to us this morning or throughout the week, and I pray that we would repent of those things and feel that forgiveness that only you can offer. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.